The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. Good morning. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, California, streaming online at KUCI.org and podcasting on iTunes. Welcome to Privacy Piracy. I'm Lloyd, the show's engineer. We've enjoyed bringing this show since 2005. Your host is Mari Frank, a local attorney since 1985. She's a certified information privacy professional and the author of several books, including Safeguard Your Identity, Protecting Yourself with a Personal Privacy Audit, and The Complete Idiot's Guide to Recovering from Identity Theft. Mari's testified many times on privacy issues in Congress and the California Legislature. She served as a privacy expert for numerous court cases nationwide and at a White House press conference featured on C-SPAN. You may have seen her on Dateline, 48 Hours, CNN, NBC, The O'Reilly Factor, and many more shows, including her own 90-minute PBS television special, Protecting Yourself in the Information Age. To learn more about this radio show and our great guests, please visit KUCI.org slash Privacy Piracy. Mari, what's our show about this morning? Well, Lloyd, today we're going to be talking about privacy and how it you know, how all the important issues of privacy with regard to this new company that has just uh, gotten started. So let me tell you about Bob Siegel, who's coming to us from Florida. Bob Siegel has extensive professional experience in the development of privacy policies and procedures. He's also an expert in the definition of performance metrics to evaluate privacy maturity and the evaluation of compliance. He's dealt with PCI compliance and safe harbor, and he has deep subject matter knowledge surrounding key laws and regulations regarding consumer privacy and information security. He's a certified information privacy professional, which I am too with the International Association of Privacy Professionals. And he also, though, even more than me, he also has concentration in CIPP um, European uh, law and Canadian law and information technology practices, as well as a certified information privacy manager. So he took a lot of those tests. I only had to take one. He's a member of the IAPP faculty and has served on the certification advisory board for the certified information privacy manager program. And he has served as senior manager of worldwide privacy and compliance recently for Staples, Inc., which is a Fortune 150 uh, retailer. And his responsibilities there included development, awareness, and compliance of global privacy-related policies and procedures for more than 60 business units in 20 countries. So now he's out on his own with this new company, and we're going to find out about Privacy Ref. That's P-R-I-V-A-C-Y. R-E-F dot com. So thank you for joining us from Florida today. How are you this morning? Uh, I'm doing great. Uh, Thanks for having me. Well, Bob, tell us um, a little bit about your company and what you do. 
Sure. Well, um, what we do at Privacy Ref is we help our clients um, to improve their privacy practices, um, either building a privacy program for scratch or um, doing assessments, finding out where they can do some improvements. It's all risk-based in, in that case. Um, or alternatively, uh, we just coach a privacy office and help them through their, their day-to-day activities to try to improve what they, they do best. We focus primarily on alignment of uh, the privacy office's activities and policies with business goals so that they can get the right amount of support from the uh, entire organization, from the executive staff all the way down to the individual contributors. Yeah, and sometimes that can be hard because the privacy office and even the security office, they really are not moneymaker offices within the company. So that can be kind of a challenge, isn't it, sometimes? It, it is. Um, you know, it results in, uh, in, in regardless of the size of the organization, it, uh, a lack of resources to really deploy the privacy program and to, to provide the training and the awareness programs and the compliance oversight that really needs to be done for privacy. So um, by um, trying to align the privacy office's goals with the business goals, it makes executives much more receptive to um, providing the funding and the resources that are needed to uh, to to meet uh, the requirements of regulators and customers. Right. So, so what do you do if you go into a company or and you're trying to um, talk to the CEO or even the board? Do you, what do you tell them that why they should care about privacy? Well, you know, the, the first thing that people jump to about that is the obvious, that there's financial implications um, that have to do with uh, penalties or lawsuits or just the remediation costs of potential data breaches. Um, but the, the hidden costs um, are um, more along the, the lines of a, a brand damage. Um, you don't necessarily see those immediately. I think the Poneman Institute a couple of years ago um, estimated that uh, customer churn when there was a data breach, loss of customers, was on the average of 3.4%. But it, it depends upon the industry that you're in. Uh, at financial services, where we have a number of customers, it was as high as 6.6%. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's that loss of trust that's the problem. In, in fact, one of the CPOs that I work with, his comment uh, in financial services, his comment was that if he loses customer trust, he'll never see that customer again. They're, they're banking on trust. Um, the other component is organizational distraction. Um, when an event occurs, a breach or even a potential breach, um, executives get pulled away from whatever they're focused on now to grow to business. Um, individual contributors, the security team, the privacy team, even the business unit that was directly affected have to put on hold whatever initiatives they had going on. And that means that revenue-generating projects, new products are all going to be delayed because of a breach. Right. And when you start summing up the numbers, um, it does have an impact on the executives. Right. And and there's, you know, the other side of it is, is that there is value added, you know, when you're protecting your client and your customer's privacy, there's a value to it. I know even for me, for my practice um, as an attorney mediator, you know, I, I really stress that not only am I protecting their data, but but it's it's a value added because people want to have privacy in their lives. So that's kind of, you know, I, I think I don't have a, a, a huge amount of um, 
you know, concerned with with big databases that I have, but I do have sensitive data. So I try to, you know, talk to them about the other side of it. As there's the, you know, the carrot and the stick, you know. Yep. And it, it it's sometimes the smaller breaches or smaller events that happen that, that really do get you. Um, one of the things we do is a, a monthly or quarterly wrap-up of data breaches. We focus on one and do a, a drill down in depth, but we do a survey of some things that have happened recently. And it, uh, the last time we did that um, presentation, um, we found a car dealership out in the West Coast um, that was broken into, and all that was taken were the loan applications for oh the cars God. that had recently been sold. <laughs> but you know so what's it, on that loan application? Everything, right? <laughs> everything. So it's it's not just the electronic things that we deal with with our clients. It's the paper side as well. Yeah, exactly. And that is in California. If information was once computerized and it's been acquired by a third party that that's unauthorized, that's considered a security breach. So that is, you know, of need of disclosure. And yeah, you know, car dealerships are kind of notorious for having these kinds of problems and escrow companies. So it isn't just the huge targets and the Nordstroms that that uh, that have to worry about this. And even a mom and pop a company that that does internet you know services to thousands of people and maybe they only have three or four um you know people who are employees it still could be a mess right absolutely um there was a firm up in maine called uh, days jewelers who um their their credit card processing on their website was hacked um they didn't know it um, and similar to many businesses, they got a knock on the door from uh, Secret Service telling them that they'd been hacked. Um, they were they were fortunate; it, it uh, wasn't didn't happen for that long a period. Um, they were able to make the changes, and about two years later, um, the uh, the hacker was actually arrested down in Nicaragua. Wow. But all all of the credit card information um, that was put into the site during the time that the, the malicious code was in place not only showed up um, at Days Jewelers to charge for the uh, the cards or the, the purchases, but it was sent down to Nicaragua, and then the cards numbers were resold. Wow, yeah. I, I recently was um, in Mexico and used my American Express and my, you know, my cards, and everything was fine. And then like a month later, um, I got a call from Amer- or I saw on my that's right I saw some weird stuff on my American Express and I called up and it was um, from stuff that that had been um, purchased in Nicaragua <laughs> which so somebody in Mexico passed it on to Nicaragua or something it was very strange I you know I wasn't held responsible for because I told them right away but that was strange I thought gosh this you know this is Hispanic sounding I was in Cabo San Lucas but I I don't remember this at all, and sure enough, it was Nicaragua. So strange. <laughs> yeah, it it's always makes you uneasy when you see unusual charges on your cards. Um, my wife and I just recently switched banks, um, and um, we were with the bank for all of three weeks, and uh, we have. Uh, three ATM cards and a credit card with the bank. And three weeks later, we're out in Las Vegas for um, the IAPP's uh, summer show, spring show. And um, all of all the cards were breached. 
We're oh. full, um, we got contacted the bank. They were shutting everything down. Oh, gosh. Yeah, <laughs> terrible. Well, this is why I never use a debit card. I have an ATM card so that anywhere in the world I can get money out, but I never use a debit card because they can just steal the money right out of your account. So, Right. Let's talk about the basic steps that can be taken to improve a company's privacy program. So we have a lot of people that drive by that have their own businesses, and um, and so that would be real helpful for them. Sure. Um, the, the, the first step is really to... Take and make an assessment. Figure out where you are today, and, and there's there's two parts to that. One is um, to figure out to understand what your requirements are, what the laws are, what the regulations are that you have to comply with, um, what um, you're contractually obligated to do by your customers and and in some cases vendors. And then the other side of it is to take an inventory of what data you're collecting and how it's protected and how it's processed and what your processes are. And by doing that gap analysis, you'll be able to identify where there are potential weaknesses in your system. You'll be able to assess the risk associated with it and then prioritize um, what to fix. Yeah. Um, I never never advocate doing everything all at once because um, things change so rapidly, but take the, the riskiest things and address them as quickly as possible. And I think it's hard for smaller companies that they don't have the in-house people to do a lot of this stuff. So that's, I think, a big challenge. Um, what about, yeah. pri- I'm, go ahead, what were you going to say? No, I was going to say, it's not only um, the small companies that have that challenge. We're, we're dealing with a, a, a large organization um, down here in Florida, and we're doing a data inventory for them. And here's a company that's been um, around literally for years, and they they don't have the resources to do this data inventory. They don't know where all the data is and where it's kept. Um, and so they brought us in to help out. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, there's a lot of industries like that, like... Um, out here in California, you know, they've been going to smart meters, and I, I would imagine they're probably doing something like that in Florida. And so, you know, the the electric companies were not used to um, having to think about data collection, and they weren't used to having to think about privacy. And, you know, security was more physical security. So this has been a huge learning curve for, um, uh, you know, the the utility companies that now that they're doing the smart data, that could be hacked in a, in a heartbeat. And so they have to know security and privacy. So that, that they don't even, you know, they've been collecting stuff and didn't even know why they were collecting it. So. Yeah, it's amazing. If someone gets a, a copy of what your power usage is, they can tell when you're home, when you're away, when you're on vacation, when you're at work. Right. Um, uh, it, the, it kind of the next step is the Internet of Things. When you have a refrigerator, for example, that's reporting what's inside of it or what you need to order, now you have a situation where you can tell what the health situation may be about the residents of the home. You may be able to tell what the religious beliefs are just from the contents of, of that refrigerator. Exactly, exactly. Pretty scary. So let's talk a little yeah. bit about uh, privacy assessments and why they're so important and, and how they should be done? Um, well, from an important standpoint, it, it's it's important for an organization to know what's happening. Um, are, are they, in fact, uh, uh, compliant, if you will, with their own privacy program? Um, often, 
um, we are brought into a situation to do an assessment and we're escorted through the interview process by somebody from the privacy office. Um, and we're told some things by the, um, the person we're interviewing that isn't quite compliant with what the, the business expects. And as we walk outside, the, our escort will tell us, that's not really what they do. This is what they really do. Oh. Um, so there's kind of rose-colored glasses, right, that somebody internally looks at it with. Um, it's, it's great to bring in a third party. We tend to find that people are more upfront, more honest with us because um, – it, the, the feedback's going to come from us, not from them directly, so it doesn't damage um, their relationships inside of the organization. Um, so that, that, that's uh, why it's important. From a, a process standpoint, we, we take a, what I think is a kind of unique approach. Um, we do a top-down assessment. Um, we start at at the leadership level to understand what they think is going on. And then we do a deep dive into areas where we think there is high risk. Um, and that allows us to get an assessment done in, in just a couple of weeks as opposed to um, a prolonged effort to do it. Um, why peel back the onion on things that are working? Um, let's, let's focus on the things where there's high risk that we want to address. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So let's talk a little bit about wearable, <clears throat> excuse me, wearable technology, such as the Apple Watch and, you know, people with their Fitbits. And what caution or advice do you have for both organizations and consumers with regard to these kinds of technologies? Well, um, one, of, one of my favorite subjects. Um, I, I was an explorer on the, on the, uh, on the, uh, on uh, Google's um, Glass project, um, oh, yeah? just to see what people, yeah, just to see what how people would react. It was really interesting. But from an organizational standpoint, um, companies have to be aware that wearable technology, whatever the device is, is collecting information um, passively. You may not even know that they're doing it. So even with a, a smartphone, think about having an employee that is working on research and development projects in a closed lab. Well, if they're bringing wearable technology or even a mobile phone in with them, it's broadcasting that individual's location. So within your facility, somebody can find out exactly where your R&D is taking place, where your sensitive information is. Um, those, that technology also has within it a camera and recording devices. Um, the reason I mentioned Google Glass is you know, people were very sensitive to the fact that there was a camera there and you could do some recording. Right. But I can take a, a, a watch today and do that same kind of recording and no one would be the wiser. Um, so things that may be um, sensitive and proprietary to your organization may easily um, leave. And it's not so much what's in a meeting, but think about escorting somebody through your plant um, with their watch recording everything they're doing. So some of your trade secrets may get out. Um, you know, from a, a consumer standpoint, um, I, I, I joke a lot. I have an Android phone. Um, if you want to know where I am, you don't have to ask my wife. You don't have to put a <laughs> tracker on me. Just ask Google. Um, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, but, you know, everything you share, you know, from a, even from a Fitbit standpoint, you, you can um, post what your, um, what your achievements are online, and people can see what your health situation is. Whether you know you can you can uh, 
keep up with a, a certain pace or not. Um, and, you know, maybe I'm being a paranoid ex-New Yorker here, but if somebody knows what my fitness level is, does that potentially make me um, more of a target um, for a, a robbery attempt? Yeah, exactly. Now, I, I don't I don't like people knowing all that kind of stuff myself. It's <laughs> obviously there's so many things that people can do with this that uh, that is very creative. You know, when you were talking about whether it's a cell phone or Google Glass or the Apple Watch, and you know, we there is um, a lot of insiders that we have to worry about that if they're disgruntled insiders that are working there they could sell information you know it, it isn't even like you know where they are I mean they might use that information to um, you know to profit from it or or yeah. some kind of revenge or something we've seen that as well right sure roughly 35 percent of data breaches have some uh, human factor associated with it and having disgruntled employees um, is, is, is something that unfortunately happens frequently and sometimes you don't even know what's going on you think an employee is, is happy and doing their job well but they're still um, taking things with them um, you know that, that it just as, as an aside um, not necessarily dealing with wearable technology but background checks for, for employees who are Dealing with sensitive and personal data is something that uh, needs to needs to occur. Um, you know, some places feel that it's intrusive, but I, I know of one organization that hired a worker in human resources and did not do a background check, and um, they this individual lost a laptop. And okay, we we they dealt with it. They got the police report and everything else, and then issued him another laptop. And then four weeks later, the laptop and the individual disappeared. Oh dear! <laughs> and it turns out that it, it turns out that this was a pattern of this individual that was on the FBI's most wanted list. Mm. If they had done a background check, they would have captured it. Yep, yep. Important to do that because yeah. And then you've got the the insider who just is, you know, having fun with technology and doesn't even think about what they're doing. <laughs> you know, the the unintentional, uh, you know. Insider who makes it a, a big problem for the company. What about that? Yeah, there was, <clears throat> yeah it, it's. Um, I, I, I've heard a story about um, a call center that um, what they were doing was um, they had a credit um, reporting application. So they were able to uh, get online. Somebody could call and they can get online, get a quick credit report for them, make a decision whether to extend credit with this particular retailer. And um, when a, a group of uh, new employees were instructed about the uh, that that particular software, the instructor did not use the um, standard target for the you know the, the example person for the class. She used some uh, um, celebrities. And what ended up happening is the employees went back to their desks and they figured, well, if she can look at celebrities, I can look at some other celebrities. And uh, the vendor called them up and said, and said you've got a problem here. So um, they had to go back and address that. But people were just having fun trying to learn the system and didn't think they were doing anything wrong. Exactly. Well, you came from, from Staples, and everybody knows who Staples, you know, it was and is. And what what is it um, like working now as an independent privacy professional as opposed to when you were in that large company and you were managing their privacy program? 
Oh, uh, I, I wouldn't necessarily relate this directly to Staples. I've worked for a lot of large companies, yeah. but um, I, it, for me, um, one of the big things is that uh, I, I get to have some fun. I get to look at various different organizations, um, diverse organizations of all sizes, to see what their privacy practices are and what their challenges are. And I get to feel like I'm helping each of them, uh, not only the, the organizations, but to help um, their customers as well to protect information. Um, it's actually very freeing, if you will, to have control over my own activities. Yes. Um, you know, I have a team that's working with me. Um, I'm not reporting to anyone. Um, so having that freedom is nice. Actually, I am reporting to someone, but that's my wife, and yeah. <laughs> she's on board with all this. Um, and, and you have to report to yourself, because I've been in business for myself for a long time. You know, you, you work long hours and you have to report to yourself, you know, and you can't, it's not so easy to take a vacation. <laughs> um, luckily, it, it, it's not. And, you know, one of the benefits of living in Florida is the weather's nice. And if I can break away for an afternoon, maybe I can play around to golf or go to the beach. Um, but it, 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 you're right. I'm, I'm working seven days a week generally uh, uh, just to, as the company's growing and um, as our customer base is growing. Yeah. So we have just a, a few minutes left. I'd like to hear what you would like to tell the businesses that are driving by. Uh, you know, if you have some tidbits for them, some things to be careful about when they're hiring a vendor, maybe you could talk about that. Yeah, vendors, if you look at the major data breaches over the past couple of years, a lot of them were um, due to vendors. Um, the Target breach was a, a, a great example of that. Um, so working with a vendor, you want to um, go through some due diligence to figure out, number one, um, have they had any breaches before? Yeah. If they have, you, have a, you want to ask them what they've done to rectify the problem. Right. Um, you also want to take the time to review their privacy policies and um, see how they line up with what your requirements are. I mean, after all, it's not going to be the vendor in the event of a data breach that the customers are going to hold responsible. They're going to hold whoever collected the data from them as being responsible. Um, so you want to make sure that the vendors are doing what you expect them to do. And along those lines, you want to have the right to audit as well. This is just a couple of things that you, you potentially want to take a look at. And, and you know, as the, the attorney in me also says, you want to have an indemnification clause so that if you do, as the, as the major vet, you know, the major company, if you get sued and it was really the fault of your vendor, um, and that can be proved. You want to make sure that the vendor can indemnify you. So everybody's got to have insurance for this, too. Yeah, ab absolutely. I mean, it, that will help stem some of the um, financial risk, but ultimately it comes to brand risk as well. Um, so you don't want to get into a situation where you've lost data. You want to do whatever you can to prevent it up front. Right, right. And we, we still have a couple more minutes. What, what do you think about um, the future of encryption? You think that's going to, to, I mean, do you advise your clients to encrypt all the sensitive data? Or what do you tell them to do if there's like one major issue? You know, because um, in California, I, I... we've got this security breach law that says if you encrypt the sensitive data and it's lost, you don't have a duty to disclose that breach. 
Right. I, I do encourage my clients to encrypt data uh, at rest and certainly in transit as well. Um, we try to encourage them to get all their laptops that hold any personal information um, to make sure that they're encrypted as well. It was interesting, though, a couple of years ago um, when the Massachusetts security law came out, um, I attended a meeting with the attorney general's office. And even though the law says if you um, have encrypted data that you don't have to notify, um, they still wanted to be notified because at some point in the future, technology might catch up to be able to decrypt that data that was stolen X number of years ago. Right. So it's kind of an interesting position. Yeah. Um, the discussion the discussion now about backdoors for encryption, um, I, I, I personally, I just feel that we're wasting a lot of time with that discussion. Because if, even today, um, if, if somebody really wants to, to encrypt data and have nobody read it, they'll do it. I mean, yeah. that's the intent. Yeah. Um, so it's a, it's a difficult situation for law enforcement. Well, we are just out of time. So, um, Bob Siegel, would you just give your website and people can find out more about your company and all the good things? I know you have some free webinars on there as well. So just give your website and it's time to go. Great. Uh, the website is www.privacyref.com, and uh, we do monthly webinars on various topics. Okay. Well, thanks so much. Let's keep in touch, and hopefully I'll see you in D.C. in April. Okay. Take care. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM and Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. I'm Mari Frank. Join us every Monday morning at 8 a.m. right here on KUCI and visit our website at KUCI.org slash privacy piracy. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.